It's time now for all you ever wanted to know. A chance for you to get to know what's going on in and around your community and the fabulous people that make it happen. With today's guest, here's Jordan Patswald. Hello and welcome to All You Ever Wanted to Know. I am Jordan Patswold. It's the last Friday of the month, and that means I have David Disty joining me in studio, another edition of Heart to Heart. David, it's good to see you. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Jordan. Great to be back here again. Yes, well, you've lined up some guests for us to join you on the program today, so I'm going to let you take it from here and guide our discussion. Yeah, I'm so excited that today uh, we've got uh, Rob Reamer on air with us today. Um, He's a speaker and author. Um, he's probably most known around here, at least for his conference, Soul Care, and the book Soul Care. Um, but he's written and um, a number of other books, including Deep Faith, um, River Dwellers, uh, Pathways to the King, um, Calm in the Storm. I'm probably missing some others. You've written quite a few. Um, and other conferences, too, including the Holy Spirit Encounter Weekend and other ones that uh, I'm missing as well. But, uh, Rob, it's great to have you on air today. Uh, it's good to be with you, David. So I, I want to start off today and um, talk about uh, kind of the reason that we're all here. Um, in Luke 4, Jesus uh, said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And that's what Jesus said that his mission was, and he's passed that on to us as well. And so that's that's what I'm excited about, that we get to partake in what he is doing in the world. That's not just him doing work, but we get to have a part in it. Um, and so, but there, there's a specific part in there, uh, freedom for prisoners and to set the oppressed free. Um, I'm, I'm curious, Rob, what do you see him meaning through this passage? What is the work that Jesus is doing in us and through us? Well, part of what you see when you see Jesus come in the Gospels is he preaches the message of the kingdom. So that is Jesus' central message. It's the message of the kingdom of God, the gospel of the kingdom. And the kingdom of God is the reversal of everything that went wrong with the world when sin entered the world. So when Jesus comes, he sets out to help people find freedom through faith in him that reconciles them to the Father. There's forgiveness. There's freedom from the power of sin, but it also includes healing because sickness is not part of God's original design. It isn't going to be around when you get to heaven. So when Jesus comes, not only does he preach the gospel of the kingdom, he heals the sick, and it includes deliverance. He casts out demons. That's because that's not part of God's original design, and you aren't going to find any demonized people in heaven. So when Jesus preaches the kingdom, it always comes with a demonstration of power that includes deliverance and healing. And that's part of the gospel of the kingdom. Yeah, and so uh, growing up in the Christian Missionary Alliance, I was aware of Jesus the healer. That was something that was core to to our, our belief in God. Um, but it was quite new to me when I read Soul Care that um, you start talking about deliverance. And I had heard about that through missions uh, missionaries and that, yeah, deliverance might be something that happens in other countries, but certainly can't happen here in um, advanced, civilized Western Canada. That, that can't be something here, but um, it definitely is. So... Uh, I'm, I'm curious, what have you seen, uh, like in Soul Care, you talk about the Scooby-Doo um, experience, and how did that show you what's changing in our cultural understanding of spiritual issues? Yeah, well, one of the reasons why, you know, a lot of times missionaries have these stories about doing deliverance, and we didn't have any stories here in the Western context, is because of a modern worldview. And, you know, Scooby-Doo really illustrates both the modern worldview and the dramatic shift that is currently taking place in our world in terms of worldview. And the reason why Scooby-Doo really works is because, actually, it's the longest-running TV show in the history of TV, right? So this thing's been on since 1968, so you're talking over 50 years, where at least one episode, a movie usually, has run every year. The original Scooby-Doo's were entrenched in a modern worldview. So think about the original Scooby-Doo's. They were the Scooby-Doo, where are you uh, episodes. And Scooby, who is a dog who sometimes speaks with garbled speech, it's a cartoon, and uh, he has a group of teenage friends. And these teenagers and Scooby 
solve mysteries. But at the beginning of the Scooby-Doo, the original episode, Scooby-Doo, Where Are You?, they'd always start off with a ghost. You know, but 22 and a half minutes later, Scooby and the gang would resolve the mystery, and they would reveal that the ghost wasn't really a ghost. It was a bad guy dressed up as a ghost, was just a villain. But they were teaching you a worldview. The worldview they were teaching you was modernism, and modernism teaches us that behind every apparent supernatural phenomenon is a natural explanation. That's because in a modern worldview, if there is a supernatural world, it's kind of up there and out there, and we can't really interact with it in the here and now very much. But you speed up the clock, and, you know, again, Scooby-Doo's run for all these years, and so as the world has begun shifting its perspective, Scooby-Doo began to have new episodes that reflected a different worldview. Sometime, I was mid-90s, probably 94, something like that. I'm over a friend's house, and, you know, we're having a cup of coffee in the kitchen, and his little boy goes wandering into the other room, and he turns on the TV. And I hear Scooby-Doo. Well, you know what? Scooby-Doo is always my favorite cartoon growing up, so I wander off into the bedroom or into the living room with the kid, and, you know, I'm watching Scooby, and there's a ghost. Well, there's always a ghost. It's Scooby-Doo. Only difference was this time at the end of the episode, the ghost was still a ghost. And I went, rut row. Someone has just taught a new generation of children that behind an apparent supernatural phenomenon is an actual supernatural being, and you can interact with it. Well, that changes everything. Listen, since that point in time, by the way, around the same time, a little book series came out, might have heard of it sold more books than any book series in the history of the world. It's called Harry Potter. And, you know, it, again, reflects an incredibly supernatural worldview that you can interact with this supernatural world. And since that time, there's been a tremendous exploration and experimentation with spiritual things in the Western context because we're no longer living in the 1950s or 60s. The time has dramatically shifted. It's funny, probably 20 years ago when I was teaching at the seminary as an adjunct professor now in there full-time at Alliance Theological Seminary here in New York, but 20 years ago I started saying to my students, churches that do not know how to move an authentic spiritual power in the next 20 years are going to become irrelevant to everyone except the Pharisees because the bondage level is going to be so great. And if you don't move in power, you're not going to get them free. Which brings up uh, an interesting point that you've uh, brought up before, is that um, in evangelism, it's not necessarily going to be now convincing people of their sinfulness and their need for a savior, but of their brokenness and their need for a healer. And that's where Jesus, um, that's where an opportunity lies for us. There's an increase in bondage, but there's also um, an increased opportunity then for Jesus to show his power and healing. Yeah, and that's something I say in soul care, David, that you just picked up on. I say that, you know, I think in this generation more people are going to come to faith in Christ because they know they're broken in need of a healer than know they're sinners in need of a Savior. And that's not a theological statement. I'm not saying they're not sinners in need of a Savior. Mm -hmm. They are sinners in need of a Savior. It's a missiological statement. I'm saying because of postmodern worldview that we live in, people are far less aware of sin and sinfulness, but they're keenly aware and willing to talk about their brokenness, their anxiety, their depression. Listen, anxiety has become the number one mental health problem in North America. More people are on anxiety medicine than any other form of medicine in the U.S. and Canada. I mean, it's a giant issue. And I'll be honest, a lot of this stuff is actually demonic presentation. The single most common uh, presenting factor of a demon is anxiety. Now, don't get me wrong. Not everybody who has anxiety has demons, okay? But when a demon is present, there is most frequently anxiety. And you see a lot of times when you do deliverance that anxiety people have been struggling with gets set free. Listen, last fall, not nah, two, two, two years ago, so fall of 
2019. I did a deliverance on a, a guy in his 40s. He's actually a pastor, and he was 42 years old at the time of the deliverance. And this guy had struggled with anxiety his entire life. He had been to doctors, therapists. He'd been through all kinds of medical treatments, medicines. The guy could not lick the anxiety. I did a 10-minute deliverance on him. The guy has not had anxiety in now almost two years since then. And that's, you know, you can't cast out human, but you can't counsel or medicate demons. Mm -hmm. And Jesus has this incredible wisdom to be able to discern between soul and spirit. He doesn't try to cast out human stuff. He deals with that with, you know, direction and correction and so on and so forth. But when it's demonic, you know, there's no other solution but deliverance. Hmm. And you mentioned in that story that um, this guy was a pastor, and that's a common um, issue that people have with deliverance is that can a Christian have demons? Yeah. And so, you know, one of the uh, great misconceptions that I had growing up was that, you know, when you put your faith in Christ, it automatically would have gotten rid of any demons. You can't have the Holy Spirit in the same place with a demonic spirit, so a Christian, therefore, cannot be demonized. But just think with me logically for a second, and let me talk to you for a second about history, too, but think logic for a second. When you put your faith in Christ, it didn't eliminate all your sin. You still have sin in your life. Matter of fact, First John chapter. So, you know, bottom line is you still have sin in your life. Now, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, but he didn't eradicate all your sin. And think about your brokenness. Every one of us has brokenness, pain and suffering and trauma and wounding that we have experienced in life, whether that was physical, spiritual, emotional, sexual abuse, bullying, whatever it was. We have this trauma and pain and woundedness and brokenness in our soul. When you came to faith in Christ, all of that stuff didn't get eliminated. Jesus didn't just eradicate all of your sin, and if he didn't just eradicate all of your brokenness and dysfunction, why do we think he would just eradicate all of the deliverance? Those issues, dealing with your sin, dealing with your wounding, are discipleship issues. They aren't issues that got immediately overcome when you put your faith in Christ. Now, hear me for a second. You have everything you need to overcome them now when you put your faith in Christ because the Spirit of God is in you. But He didn't do it for you automatically. You now need to walk out your salvation with fear and trembling. You need to walk through the process of maturation. Well, this is the way they viewed it in church history. There was a guy that wrote... Uh, you know, his name was Hippolytus, way early, wrote in the 200s. And Hippolytus was, uh, wrote a book called The Apostolic Constitutions. The book is looking at how the early church took the teaching of the apostles and applied them in their local church context. When he comes to the teaching about cast out demons, he says the early church did it as part of baptism. Somebody would come to faith in Christ. The very first thing they would do was teach them about monotheism. Remember, most of these people came in a pluralistic, syncretistic society. There were many different religious spirits out there, and there are many different practices, and so they were, you know, feeding at the smorgasbord of religious opportunity. And so they taught them monotheism. They were really trying to get them focused on the Trinity, on the triune God, and to separate themselves from all these other spirits. Then the second thing they would do after they taught them about monotheism, they would teach them how to walk in obedience to the Holy Spirit, to walk, as Paul says, in step with the Spirit. So overcome sin by the power of God, sanctification, holiness, godliness, etc. The third thing they would do was what he calls prayers of exorcism. That is, they were doing their deliverance. They were casting out their demons. And as a matter of fact, another early church father makes this comment. He says, anyone who's ever worshipped other deities has demons. And they just believed all these pagans that were coming to faith in Christ needed deliverance. So they just built it right into the baptism rites. Then finally, after their prayers of exorcism, which is plural, so they did kind of multiple rounds of deliverance, 
Then they would take them down to the waters of baptism. They would baptize them. The person going under the water would renounce all previous ties to other spiritual beings. And then they would declare total allegiance to Jesus. They'd dunk them under the water, bring them back up. Then they would do one final prayer of exorcism, sealing them from all the demonic activity they'd been involved in. So, you know, early church did it as part of discipleship. They didn't see it as part of, you know, just lost people, people outside of faith having demons. Yeah, and so this isn't something that's new that you just discovered. It's something that's been around for centuries. Yeah, our worldview messed us up, right? Mm. So here's the bottom line. Our Western worldview has uh, distorted our biblical lenses. Now, that's true of all worldview. Worldview distorts your understanding of the Bible, so part of what you have to do is you have to bring yourself out of your worldview into alignment with the scriptural view of things. And our Western worldview has blinded us to the spiritual realities that are out there. Mm Mm-hmm. And so there's there's lots of um, examples in the Gospels of deliverance. Uh, what other things do we learn about deliverance through some of these different encounters that Jesus has? Well, look at the Gadarene demoniac. It's probably the most famous deliverance, right? And just think about him for a second. First of all, notice that he's a man of violence. And that's why they've locked him away in the tombs, because he was assaulting people. Listen, you look at our society, look at our world right now, you can see an increase in the amount of random acts of violence. Well, with an increase in experimentation with spiritual things, there's going to be an increase in demonization. With an increase in demonization, there's going to be an increase in acts of violence. That's who they are. Jesus said they came to kill, steal, and destroy. Also think about him. He's a cutter. He self-harms. He cuts himself with stones, the passage says. Again, think about how in this generation there has been an increase in experimentation of spiritual practices, and with that there's been an increase in self-harm, cutting, and suicide. We have a greater self-harm and suicide rate in this generation than we've ever had in any historic accounting that the world can give. That is a direct connection, once again, to the spiritual realities of being demonized. Hmm. So, yeah, there's lots of different symptoms of uh, demonization, too. So Yeah, many. Yeah, you've talked about uh, a number. Are there, are there other things that point, um, that are kind of um, signals that, hey, wait, this might be an issue? Yeah, sure. So... Um, some of the most common ones are, uh, you know, you're struggling with either, and I'll, you know, start with the ones that the Gadarene Demoniac had. So you're struggling with either homicidal or suicidal or self-harming thoughts, right? That's uh, where we start on his page. Um, but then there's other ones. You're struggling with condemning thoughts. It's like not convictions. Conviction is very specific. You know, you said something inappropriate to someone. The Holy Spirit will be super specific. He'll say, hey, when you said that phrase to that person, that was hurtful to them. I want you to apologize to them. And so conviction is specific sin. Condemnation is this general thing. It's like, you're no good. You're lousy. You call yourself a Christian. How could you do that? Look at you. And so it's this shaming, uh, brutalizing, condemning, you're worthless, you're no good, you're lousy type stuff. And that's super common. Uh, Many people who have demons will say that they feel, and this is the two phrases they use, tormented or tortured. And it's particularly mental anguish, you know. There's some soulish pain going on, but it feels like torment. That's a very common phrase that people use. People also wrestle with a lot of um, if there's been sexual abuse, either in them or in their, you know, like parents, mom, dad, or grandparents on either side of the family, they'll often struggle with sexual stuff. Like, they'll be in worship and they'll have sexual images hit them during worship. And they really sincerely want to follow God. As a matter of fact, it's not even like it's tempting to them. It's kind of repulsive to them at this point, but it keeps happening. Or um, they will be... 
uh, a lot of people who were born with these kinds of sexual spirits will have early, very early, pre-puberty, they'll start having erotic sexual thoughts. Not curiosity. Curiosity is normal. It's developmental, you know. You're a little boy, you wonder about, you know, other little boys and what parts they have and other little girls and what parts they have. And that's normal. That's developmentally perfectly fine. But no, erotic, it, that is, it's lustful. They start having lustful thoughts way before puberty. I, mean, I just talked to someone this week, and their lustful sexual thoughts began at age five. Well, I'm just going to say that's not even developmentally possible. That's not developmental. That's demonic. And that means that person either has experienced sexual abuse, which, sadly, when that line is crossed and there's sexual abuse, especially if there's any form of penetration, then there is going to be demonization. And so you start getting these sexual images hit you in these inappropriate moments. And also, you know, they'll end up uh, getting that if, again, their mother was raped, for example. And then they'll inherit these spirits. And then they'll have these early erotic sexual thoughts. They'll also lots of times find themselves with dreams that are inappropriate. I mean dreams like sometimes they're attracted to another family member, a brother, a sister, a mother, a father, a child, uh, or to a child. Like they are, you know, attracted to uh, uh, any kind of children. Or they're a serial adulterer. These are the sexual dreams that you wake up and you feel like, you know, you're dirty and perverted. And they happen a lot, and uh, a lot of people struggle with sleep paralysis when this happens. And uh, they'll, they'll wake up in the night or right before they go to sleep, they will feel pinned to the bed. And they want to scream out, and a lot of times, obviously, if they're believers, they want to scream out Jesus' name. But it's like they can't even scream. That It usually only lasts anywhere between, you know, one to three minutes or something like that. But it's very, very common. And it's a demonic presence pinning you to the bed that's connected to sexual abuse someplace in your family. Besides that, you end up with lots of people struggling with, as I said before, anxiety. Anxiety, when a demon is present, the most common symptom, actually, is anxiety. And again, I said it before, but I'll say it again just to be clear. Not all anxiety is demonic. You always have to figure out, is this thing human or is this thing demonic? You can have anxiety for all kinds of reasons that are perfectly human, and there's no demon connected to it whatsoever. However, sometimes the reason why someone has anxiety is because a demonic presence is there. And when you kick out the demon, the anxiety goes away. Now, you know, those are just some of the symptoms, but there's lots of symptoms that people have when they have demonic spirits. We've only begun to scratch the surface today with Dr. Rob Reamer today on Heart to Heart with David Disty here in studio with us on The Rock 98.5. We'll take a quick break, but we have plenty more with Dr. Rob Reamer on all you ever wanted to know. Heart to Heart on The Rock. Hear ye, hear ye, it's McDonald's bonus days. With every $20 mobile order or curbside and pay order, you'll receive a free Big Mac. And for every $10 mobile order or curbside and pay order, you'll receive a free medium coffee. Everybody loves McDonald's, and now you'll love them even more. Bonus days available only at McDonald's on Broadway. You're listening to all you ever wanted to know. If you have a question for today's guest, call 783-5160 or 1-855-449-5160. It's all you ever wanted to know on The Rock 98.5. Last Friday of the month means it's a special heart-to-heart edition. And so joining me is David Disty. And David's lined up a very special guest for us on the program. And joining us on the line is Dr. Rob Reamer. So, yeah, we've been talking about uh, deliverance and what that means, what it looks like in the Bible and what it might look like in our context now as well and kind of the historical roots of deliverance. Um, but in our cultural context, we've seen a lot about demons and uh, deliverance, and there's all sorts of movies about these subjects out there, which really do taint our view of what this really looks like. So, Rob, I'm wondering if you can kind of run us through what deliverance actually is like. Yeah, so, I mean, there's a lot of different methodologies, David, and, you know, some people use what I would call more of a power methodology. And with a power methodology, sometimes they only really do deliverance 
if the demon manifests. So there's a voice that comes out of someone that's not human and, you know, sometimes not even in English. And, and then they see this thing and, and they realize, you know, if you're there and you've ever seen it happen, which I have been, you know, that you, it's pretty obvious this isn't human. This thing's demonic. And so then they go after it. But uh, in my case, uh, I really try to minimize the manifestations. I try to do it in a pastoral way because I don't want people to be embarrassed or shamed or uh, in any way um, make this a traumatic experience. So what I do is I simply have the spirit speak to the person and then I have the person report what they're either seeing, because sometimes they'll give images, or hearing. Mostly those are thoughts that are entering your mind as I'm asking what they feel, because sometimes spirits will give them either physical or emotional sensations that are actually important pieces of information. And so then, you know, I mean, the person is pretty well um, in control of their faculties, uh, they may have some low-level manifestations. Uh, that's pretty typical. Again, the most common would be anxiety. That almost is impossible to completely eliminate. Once in a while, the person, you know, and this is why I have them report whatever they see or hear or feel, because sometimes I won't be able to tell, like they're feeling sick all of a sudden, like nauseous, because the demon's making them nauseous. I can command that to stop, right, so the person doesn't throw up. Sometimes they're feeling sharp shooting pain in their body. They weren't before, but now the demon is creating some discomfort. They tell me that. I can command that stuff to stop. Sometimes it actually gags them, you know, and it's like the person feels like someone's got the, a hand wrapped around their throat and is choking them. Again, if they just make a gesture, even if they can't speak at that point, they can just move their hand towards their throat, I can immediately command that to stop. So I try to really minimize those kinds of manifestations that are harmful, embarrassing, shaming, traumatic, and uh, it's pretty calm, uh, but the life change, pretty significant for lots and lots of people who go through deliverance. Mm -hmm. So if people are thinking about deliverance, they don't need to think, well, this is going to be terrifying, like in uh, one of the movies that I've seen or something. It's nothing like that. This is calm and, uh, like I said, pastoral. It's a healing um, situation, not a, a terrifying one. Yeah, I'm pretty careful to make it very pastoral and honorable and gentle. And, uh, yeah, no Linda Blair head spinning around stuff, David. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, and we've talked a little bit about the difference between mental health and deliverance. Um, so I'm wondering if you can kind of explore that a little bit more. What's How do we know the difference between um, something that might have a demonic root and something that, like you said, you can't cast out human? Yeah. So this is really where you have to discern between soul and spirit. And the soul stuff is all the human components. So the soul stuff could be about wounding for example and now you're left with tremendous fear but it's not a demonic presence that's making you afraid you're just afraid and it's just you you have fear because of the background that you went through the things that happened to you in your growing up years etc and now you have this core of fear in your inner being you know what it may feel incredibly overwhelming and even at times like it's out of control it's, it's got to be demonic no it, it may just be human and so I can't, as I said before, cast out human. You can't. That has to be dealt with on a human level. But, again, if it is demonic, you can't medicate or counsel demons. So what you have to do is discern. So one of the areas where you have to discern isn't just, you know, sort of wounding, brokenness, sin patterns, thinking patterns, stuff like that. You actually have to discern sometimes if this is mental illness if there is something here that's you know um in the category of mental illness here, here's the problem david and this really is the difficulty first it's super hard to discern sometimes it's complex second it's you know um it's a lot of times not either or it's both and so i'll give you an example i was doing a deliverance one time uh, I was actually teaching a class, and uh, this person came to the class 
who was not in the class. They showed up on Deliverance Day because a friend invited them, right? So they show up, um, and they manifest in the room, like, you know, pretty loud screeching. Uh, you know, it sounds like the, the screeches of hell. I mean, it's uh, bone-rattling, hair-stand-up kind of screech, right? So I go over and I shut it down, which means I just commanded it to stop in Jesus' name. And I looked at her. And immediately, and this is just the Holy Spirit giving me wisdom and revelation in the moment, I knew there was something here that was real and demonic, but I also knew there was a human component to it. And I looked at her and I said to her, um, okay, what's your name? She tells me her name because I'd never met her. And I said, okay, I said, um, I need, I'm going to ask you a few questions. I need to know a little about your story and it turned out that she was having paranoid, delusional episodes where she would see things that weren't there, okay? Now, her story was, as a little kid, she had been kidnapped. And they never dealt with it. Like, they never brought her to, uh, you know, she, she was overseas when it happened. They didn't get her the psychiatric care that she needed. It was kind of never discussed. It was never really dealt with in a way that allowed her to process and get through it. So all her life, she struggles with these paranoid, delusional uh, episodes of hallucinations of people in a room with guns, all this stuff around her. That part was actually human. That was not demonic. Now, I ended up casting out, you know, several demonic spirits that were present. It was a clear difference when we were done. But the vision part, those hallucinations, didn't stop. That's because it was human. And I said to her, I said, you're going to need a really good therapist to deal with this. Probably a counselor doesn't have enough skills to deal with this. You're going to need somebody that's a clinical psychologist or a psychiatrist that's going to be able to help you to, to navigate through this. Another time, you know, I had somebody come in, multiple personalities, to one of the conferences that I was doing. And this has happened multiple times, but in this one particular case, um, there were seven personalities. Six of them were demonic. They show up. In this case, all of them came forth with a voice. Uh, so, you know, they did manifest with a voice and uh, that was not human. And I kicked all six of those personalities out. And then a seventh personality emerged, but it wasn't demonic. It was a little kid. And the personality was this woman's way of coping with her trauma. She'd had a very, very difficult, abusive, traumatic past. And she hived off this personality to cope with all of her trauma. And she was there with her psychiatrist. And I looked at the psychiatrist and I just said to the psychiatrist, this one's on you. This one's not demonic. I can't cast out human. And I said, so you're going to have to tackle this. So some of these things, it's not either or. It's both and. It gets really complex. You need a ton of humility. You need some good resource people around you. You need some real wisdom from the Holy Spirit because they get really, really difficult. They're they're not simplistic. They're complex. Mm -hmm. I really appreciate these stories. It reminds me a lot of uh, the deliverance that I went through as well. Um, like before then, I struggled with a, a particular addiction for like, decades. And then I had periods of success in dealing with it, but I kept on falling back. And um, But after the deliverance, it was gone. Like the temptation still comes back, but it's so easy to deal with now. And so that's like the uh, demonic roots. Um, but then there's an, the other piece, too. There's um, anger and anxiety that have been a big part of my life. And so I went through deliverance, and that changed to a big degree. But then there are still roots there. And so I've been going through, found a really good counselor, like you said, find someone who is really skilled and uh, we've been working through some of that stuff and so keeping on working on it is really important that there's uh, some issues that are either or like you said and some that are both and yeah and it's very common david and the bottom line is you know we too often religious people simplify things into mm. either or black or white mm -hmm. categories that is a very significant characteristic of religious people. They want to keep things black and white, either or simplistic. 
We don't live in a simplistic world. Mm -hmm. The human being is a complex being, and the reality is some of this stuff is not easy, man. And, you know, I mean, it's like, uh, you know, when I first started this stuff, David, I didn't have a framework for a lot of psychological stuff. You know, so I wouldn't have considered, for example, a lot of mental illness to to be um, real. Let me give you an example, or even just um, defense mechanisms. Things like, for example, a repressed memory. I probably would have looked at that. I don't know if that stuff's real, right? But now I've seen it. I know it's real. And it makes sense to me now because I've done so much work with the soul. Often, it hap you know, somebody has something happen to them when they're really young, they do not have the emotional strength or wherewithal to be able to process this incredibly traumatic event. And then they just lock it in the basement of their soul and tuck it away and literally have no recall of it whatsoever. I mean, it was not like they're just not thinking about it. And there is another category called disassociative memories. Those are more memories that I know. I know they're there. I know there are things that have happened. But I don't go in that room. I just shut that door. It's on the first floor of the house, but I don't go in that room. We just we know it's there. We compartmentalize this stuff because it's too painful to go after. And, you know, I, I just didn't have wherewithal for this stuff. I didn't know how to deal with this stuff. And so over time, you know, you start to get a little more wisdom, and you get a little more humility, and you stop thinking you understand the world in simplistic categories. Hey, Rob, um, can you talk a little bit about secrets and the power that they can have uh, for demonic presences in someone's life? Yeah, so two ways to that, right? So first, sometimes there are own secrets. Um, and, you know, think about the New Testament imagery about the kingdom of light versus the kingdom of darkness. And in 1 John 1, you know, the Apostle John says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we'll have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ will cleanse us from all our sin. And so, you know, there's this concept of God shines light into the suitcase of our soul. Hear me, he never shines light into our hearts, our souls, to make us feel bad. He shines light to get us free. Light is a gift it's not an intruder. But for a lot of us, we learned to view the light as a dangerous thing. And it made us, you know, we lived in context, whether family of origin context or church context, where you were shamed if you did certain things. So you just learned, we don't talk about this stuff. And you pretended like you did not do that stuff. And in the dark, you're wrestling with all these dark thoughts dark acts, you know, whether they're sexual or something else that you, you just scared and shamed to bring into the light. And so you start accumulating secrets. The problem with secrets, first, is a soulish problem, okay? Anybody who carries secrets carries shame. It's an inviolable principle of the soul. You can't have secrets without shame. That's the nature of darkness. It produces shame. And so Satan, of course, he sits on our lap and goes, oh, you can't tell anybody. You tell anybody this, they're never going to accept you. They won't love you. You've got to hide this. And so we feel nauseous even. We feel really anxious and upset about possibly revealing the secrets of our soul. But that's the enemy. He is trying to get us in bondage now. There are times that those secrets can become more than just a soulish issue, more than just the enemy having some stronghold in our life like shame, but they can actually become a demonic foothold, and they need to be brought into the light in order to break them and the demons to be cast down. So that's the first type of secret, which is really about your own secrets. But the second type is family secrets. And the reality with family secrets is sometimes families don't tell the truth to each other. Let's put it a little stronger. Often families don't tell the truth to each other. And as a result, there's these family secrets. These things happen in our families. We never talk about them. And now they become a demonic stronghold in our family. But nobody ever discusses this stuff. So I'll give you an example. Um, I had a uh, doctoral student one day and a couple years ago. 
I was doing a class. I was teaching through soul care. I did a group test, which is First John chapter 4 tells us to test for demonic spirits. So I did a test to see if there's any de- demonic spirits in the people in the class. I end up doing deliverance on several of the people in the class. And then this one guy comes up to me after I'm done with all of the deliverances. And he says, would you do an individual test with me um, one-on-one? And I said, sure, tell me why. And he said to me, I just want to make sure I'm clean. So I go just to start the test with him, which is really just a series of biblical questions, like, is Jesus Christ the Lord? Is Jesus Christ your Lord Spirit? I'm not asking the person. I'm asking the Spirit to report to the person. And so anyways, I'm about ready to go into this test, and all of a sudden, again, the Holy Spirit gives me supernatural wisdom, and I know his... um, but I looked at him and I said to him, I said, um, uh, blocking spirit, which all sexual abuse spirits have these things called blocking spirits. Their sole function is to really keep the sexual abuse spirit from coming forth, from being found out and being cast out. And so I put my hand on his chest and said, blocking spirit, come forth. As soon as I said it, his tongue doubled in size. And he's mute. I mean, he can't talk. I've never seen a manifestation like that. That is the only time I've ever seen that. And um, I looked at him and I said, your mother was sexually abused. Are you aware of this? He shook his head no. And I said, I'm going to cast these things out, but I'm pretty sure that's what this is. That's what I'm getting. And I said, uh, when, I'm, when I'm done, I said, you know, we'll, <clears throat> we'll talk because he couldn't talk while that was there. And I said, um, you know, I finished, cast him out. Sure enough. Uh, I said to him, I need you to go home and check with your mom. And so he did within the next week. And his mom had been sexually abused, and she had never told anyone. But that's not uncommon. You know, a lot of times your abuser will say, you can't tell anybody. If you tell anybody, I'm going to hurt your family, etc." And they make all these threats. And so the person keeps it in the darkness. But there's never any healing in darkness. There is only healing and freedom in the light. So shame and secrecy are a feedback loop. They just keep on feeding on each other and getting worse and worse until we break that loop by allowing ourselves to be in the light, to bringing everything into the light. Yeah, so, you know, one of the things that people always struggle with, David, is, you know, they they got to differentiate between our part and God's part, right? What's Mm -hmm. my part in the journey towards wholeness? What's God's part? One of the key things with my part, if I can sum it up, I'll give you just two big things that are my part. One, I need to be honest. And, you know, I always say this phrase, really, our part ultimately is to humble ourselves. That's really the one phrase. But I'm going to give you two parts to authentic humility. Humility begins with honesty, ruthless, brutal honesty, no secrets. It begins with honesty. We bring everything into the light, and it ends with responsibility. Those are the two key words to humility, honesty and responsibility. So then I take responsibility. When I take responsibility, I don't blame, I don't excuse, I don't justify, I don't rationalize, I don't deny, I don't hide. I bring everything into the light, and I take responsibility. I own my part. God's part, then, is to bring healing. I can't heal. But I can bring myself to God with honest responsibility, and God can bring healing. Being responsible, I do what I need to do to get into God's presence. So I do spiritual activities, prayer, Bible reading, uh, going to church, fasting, uh, etc. And I do my part. I'm responsible for my part. And God does his part. God shows up. God does healing. God brings freedom. God brings power for victory. That's God's part. But, you know... Uh, uh, so many of the promises of the scripture are if then. If you do this, then I'll do that, God says all the time. And we eliminate the if then and we just make it God's going to do his part and our faith becomes way too passive. And there's no such thing as passive faith in real biblical understanding. Faith has to be active, it cannot be passive. And that means we need to be humble, it means we need to be honest and responsible. That's our part. 
Hmm. And so I totally recommend people um, look into your book, Deep Faith, dive into that a lot more. Um, but if people are thinking, as they've been listening to us talking about deliverance, if they're thinking, you know what, I need to look into this more, um, how, how do you recommend people look into or explore deliverance as something for themselves? Yeah, so first, um, there are local churches out there that do practice deliverance. Um, for me personally, I would want them to practice a model of deliverance where they name spirits by name and they command them to leave, but they address the spirit and make sure there's no ground uh, or access points. You know, that's a legal right for the spirit to stay. So the methodology kind of matters. If you read my book, Soul Care, there's a clear methodology at the end of the book. Uh, you know, listen, I've done well over 10,000 deliverances. I've done them on every single continent on the planet except for Antarctica. I've done them cross-culturally. Here's the bottom line. This methodology that I teach works around the world cross-culturally. It's proven thousand upon thousand upon thousand upon thousands of times and has been reproducible. That is, I have trained and equipped literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people to do this around the planet. And so at the end of the day, it is a reproducible, transferable, cross-cultural deliverance methodology. So read that. Find a church that does one. That's one. Two, if you really can't find a church, you can come to a soul care conference. Uh, currently, we're still doing them live stream. You know, I'm not able to cross the border yet and get back to Canada, but I, I have one coming up in May. And, you know, so you can look up our website. You can join us on a live stream. And when you join us on a live stream, uh, we will do deliverance with people. We make appointments uh, I don't do them personally most of the times. Most of the times I have team members that do them, including Jennifer. Uh, she's part of a team. And so we do have people that handle this. So the next one that I have that's a live stream coming up is May 13th through 15th. You can sign up on our website. If you Google my name, our website will show up. It's renewalinternational.com. And so you said that, um, absolutely, I totally recommend people go to that Soul Care Conference. It's amazing. Um, but you also mentioned that people can find a church that does deliverance. Um, do you recommend that people go to their own church or just find any church that will that is uh, trained in how to do deliverance? Well, I mean, it would be best if every church had a, a deliverance ministry. You know, listen, this is something Jesus did, right? First of all. Second of all, Jesus commands the disciples to do this. Matthew chapter 10, he gave them authority to drive out demons. Then, in Matthew chapter 28, end of the book, he says, Go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I commanded you, which includes deliverance. So I would argue churches not involved in deliverance ministry are in disobedience. This is a necessary ministry. Jesus wasn't a country bumpkin who could not discern between a psychological problem and a spiritual problem that required deliverance for a person to get free. He understood, and he knew that this was a necessary component for people's freedom. Therefore, I think this has to be part of the local church. So if your local church is not doing that, then what I would recommend, and I've recommended this to lots and lots of people, to get a copy of Soul Care, read it yourself, then you know, bring a copy to your pastor, have your pastor, your elders, your leadership team, whoever's your leadership representation, have them read it, dialogue about it and ask them if they'd be willing to start a deliverance ministry we do deliverance training workshops which we also do live stream where we equip people how to do the ministry of deliverance pass on lots of tools of the trade and so forth and uh you know there's there's help available out there and i'm not the only guy doing it there's other people out there that are also training and equipping people in this vital ministry of jesus Okay, so there's lots of ways for people to, to go about it. They can bring it to their uh, church leadership and say, hey, is this something that we can start? And they can get that training through you. Do you have a deliverance training workshop coming up? Uh, I'm about to schedule one, and I have a church that I'm doing a soul care conference for live in August. So probably in June, early June, I will schedule one, but I haven't contacted the church and put it on the calendar yet. Okay, so we'll stay tuned. And that one that will be at church, would that be streamed as well? 
I will do live stream. Yeah, I probably will not go down to Atlanta for the deliverance training workshop just for the Soul Care Conference. So I'll do that with them live stream. Excellent. Um, and one thing that I've heard from people as well is wanting to do deliverance by themselves, to um, do kind of a self-deliverance. Uh, what's your take on that? Yeah, it doesn't usually work. And I think there's probably multiple reasons for it, right? First, I, I think the number one, by the way, that's probably the number one question I get, David, when I do soul care conferences, I open up Q&A. The number one question I get is, can you do self-deliverance? Now, I think... The number one question comes from shame. Most people, what their real thinking process is, well, I don't want anybody to know I have demons. You know, I just want to do it between me and Jesus so no one will ever know. And that's shame. See, that's the enemy. And notice when Jesus actually sends the disciples out to do deliverance, he sends them out two by two. Notice when Jesus does deliverance, he does it in public. Why? Because when you have demons, the demons gnaw away at your soul and create shame in your inner being. Jesus doesn't want to just kick out your demons. He wants to eliminate your shame. And shame is an identity-based issue that is manifest in community. Shame is the sense that I'm not lovable. If people really knew what was inside of me and what was going on in me, they wouldn't love me. They wouldn't accept me. I wouldn't belong. And so Jesus does it in public because demons are beating on that shame button. They're pumping that thing for all their worth inside your soul. And he does it in public because then they get to see that even though they had this stuff and even though uh, they, they felt unlovable, it turned out they were treated with dignity, respect, compassion, and love. And it not only gets rid of their demons, but it cures their shame quite a bit as well. Mm, so one of the big things is we need to, when we feel that shame, don't listen to it, don't obey it, but move through it and past it into there, the light. There's no healing in darkness, David. Mm -hmm. The only healing is in the light. Don't, don't accept the enemy's invitation to live in the dark. Excellent. So, Rob, we've got uh, one minute left. Any other nuggets that you want to share? Um, I would just say that there are people out there that are living in incredible bondage because they needed deliverance. And it is cosmic treason for the church to possess the keys of the kingdom and not to utilize them to set the captives free. So this is a pretty vital ministry. Um, and if you're looking to learn more about developing spiritual authority and expanding some of this stuff, another great resource is my book, Spiritual Authority. I cover a lot of this kind of stuff in there that can be helpful as well. So. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Rob, for, for joining us today and sharing your experience and what you've learned, your wisdom on the subject of freedom. Glad to do it, David. Good to be with you. And I want to thank David for leading our discussion today on the program, and also Jennifer for chiming in as well. It's been great to have you both, and Dr. Reamer, too, joining us on All You Ever Wanted to Know. The last Friday of the month is Heart to Heart with David Disty. Until next time, have yourself a wonderful day, and be blessed. Thanks for listening to All You Ever Wanted to Know. If you or your organization would like to appear on the program, call Jordan at 306-786-7625. All You Ever Wanted to Know. Only on The Rock, 98.5.